Welcome, dumbheads, to MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. In this season, I'm identifying the dumbest thing on every single goddamn page in a trio of adventure modules for TSR's Marvel Super Heroes RPG, starting with Adventure MT1, All This and World War II. Every episode is one page, every episode is short. All This and World War II was written by Ray Winninger and published in 1989 by TSR. Today we're discussing page 45 of All This and World War II. Today wraps up chapter 21, colon, Blood Curse, or should I say, Blood Curse, because our friend from the woods, Olaf, does reappear on this page. This page also wraps up the entire Romanian branch of the adventure. It's a powerful, irresistible culmination of our hero's adventure-long quest to steal and drive a spaceship. I'm sorry, I'm consulting my notes from previous days. Uh, it says here that... Our quest is to return to the Second World War and prevent some Nazis from using the items that they gained from the use of time travel to alter the course of the war. Um, that's funny because I don't remember any of that. I think possibly because of what happened on today's page. Let me just go through it with you. That'll maybe jog my memory. And more importantly, spaceship. Our heroes are standing before Baron Blood. Baron Zemo, a bunch of Nazis, a big wooden flagpole flying the German flag, either inside or outside the castle, depending on whether you believe the text or the art. We're in the castle's hidden flight deck. There are a bunch of slingshot devices here with German fighters, but there's one slingshot device with a saucer-shaped warship. I wouldn't say our heroes are exactly helpless. Uh, they are unbound. They have all of their equipment. They're not really being impeded in any way, except being surrounded by a ton of Nazis. And they're here to witness the final triumph of Baron Zemo and Baron Blood, the launch of the Nazis' time-displaced superweapon. I refer, of course, to the spaceship. The motherfucking spaceship. There's a spaceship in this scene. Up to this point in the book, I had two wolves inside me, vying for dominance, boredom and anger. A vicious struggle. Now, all of a sudden, pro wrestling style, in runs a third wolf, the space wolf. And my craving to drive a spaceship has wholly supplanted my other emotions. No doubt our heroes feel the same way that I do. The question is what they will do about it. Fortunately for our heroes and their decision-making process, uh, Vlad the Explainer here really lays out everything that's going on so they can make a truly informed decision on what they want to do about this Nazi plot. I quote, uh, beginning back on page 43, running on to page 45, quote, The object, Blood will explain, is some sort of airborne attack vehicle. They're talking about the spaceship. Quote, it's armor on every side, but the top is nearly impenetrable. Weird detail to drop, but okay. Quote, and its weaponry is capable of destroying small cities. Fantastic. Better and better. I never liked small cities. Now I can do something about it. Quote, by employing their new weapon, the Germans hope to beat the Allies back out of Italy and eventually win the war. The futuristic weapon will be spearheading the Nazi counterattack, which is scheduled to begin six hours from now. The weapon is scheduled to leave for Italy in mere moments. Oh shit, they're going to launch this spaceship without me. Without me, its rightful owner. Quote, just after Blood finishes his gloating, he will launch the superweapon, but not the planes, with a great deal of fanfare to the thunderous applause of the German troops. Now, in a sadly uncharacteristic display of sensitivity to players' wants and needs, the previous page did lay out that you don't have to let Baron Blood talk. If you want to, since you're not bound or anything, you can all just jump him as soon as he opens his weird long mouth. If you do that, then you don't hear the whole thing about the Nazis' plans, where they're sending the saucer. He also does the whole story of, like, the Orfu time crash, 
how the Nazis found this vessel, copied the technology, made three separate vessels, sent out commando teams, which is treated here as a reveal, even though I feel like these are all things that we know. I guess maybe this is for the benefit of people who didn't do a lot of searching around in the bunker. Maybe some people just immediately exit Hitler's bunker as soon as they escape the maze and don't find, like, the time machine, the notes, the bracelets, all that stuff. So in that case, the players would be learning about all this for the first time from Baron Blood if they let him talk. If you attack him before he finishes, then the spaceship is still on the flight deck when combat starts. This is crucial. That's why attacking Baron Blood and never quite understanding what was happening in this plot is definitely the right choice. Who cares about understanding the plot? The only purpose of that would be to comprehend the point of what you're doing here, to give your fictional life purpose, and my fictional life has a purpose. It's over there, in a slingshot device, shaped like a saucer, calling my name. But let's assume that, like a sucker, you let Baron Blood finish his little speech and launch the spaceship. Quote, Just after Blood launches the superweapon, a loud explosion will rock the entire complex. Suddenly, a German staff officer will rush forward and announce that the entire castle is under attack. After Olaf and his men realized that members of the invaders were infiltrating the Nazi castle themselves, they decided to move up their own timetable to take advantage of the confusion that was sure to follow. After the German officer announces the attack, 20 of the Nazi troopers will leave to rush off and battle the resistance fighters. If the heroes still haven't decided to attack four rounds later, which, by the way, who the fuck are you? The superweapon you were sent to recover is up in the air, ready to go attack the Allies. 20 of the people guarding you have just run off to fight an attack on another front by people who are counting on you to assist them in defeating the Nazis. You've got a Nazi vampire and a Nazi scientist right in front of you. I'm very interested in the player character group that is still hanging out after four rounds of nothing happening. I don't know what they would be waiting for at this point, unless they're waiting for the judge to forcibly move the plot forward, which the judge is instructed to do. Quote, if the heroes still haven't decided to attack four rounds later, Olaf and 12 of his men will show up on the flight deck where the heroes are held and begin combat. Let's take a short break from spaceship talk just for, just for a second. I don't want to stick on this for too long, but I am going to need an accounting of how Olaf and his beardy, disorganized partisans managed to get to the secret flight deck with a force a dozen strong, despite the Shift-X multi-target, unbeatable knockout laser in the only hallway that leads anywhere. What the fuck happened? I mean, I know Baron Zemo is here. Surely they could have left someone in the little turret, or in front of the monitor with the big button or whatever. I mean, it's a perfect defense. It's by far their best weapon at this bottleneck. Now they're under attack, with plenty of warning, it seems. They're fighting these resistance fighters every step of the way. Where the fuck is this knockout blaster? After they got us, did they just immediately scrap it for parts? Just like, well, with half of the invaders out of the way, the war is as good as one. Might as well start dismantling all of our super weapons. Start developing peacetime infrastructure. Maybe I'll turn this cosmic knockout beam into some manner of backhoe. Anyway, whatever the fuck happened to it, either nobody fired it at Olaf and his people, or these Romanian partisans are hard as fucking nails. Like, shift Y hard. They'd have to put the elite German Blues Brothers to shame to get past that beam. But anyway, they eventually get to the flight deck, and this way we can have good guy mooks versus bad guy mooks. Now, of course, mooks are not people, and their welfare is none of our concern. But in this case, they are relevant. Whether they show up a couple of rounds after the craft launches, or whether they show up four rounds after our heroes jump Baron Blood if they decide to attack him before he can finish his exposition. They do eventually end up on the flight deck, they do engage the enemy mooks, and that's when we have mass combat on our hands. Quote, Whenever the heroes begin to fight, they must deal with any Nazi soldiers that are still present on the flight deck, as well as Blood and Zemo, before they can get to the exit or the superweapon. That's right, until you take down Baron Blood, Baron Zemo, and all of the Nazis on the flight deck cannot get to either the exit or crucially, the spaceship. 
Quote, once Olaf arrives, he and his resistance fighters will close to combat the troopers, half of which will return fire and half of which will join Barons Zemo and Blood in attacking the heroes. So we've got half of our bad guy mooks distracted by Olaf and his guys. That's a little less for us to do. At this point, the judge is supposed to pull out a battle map of the flight deck. The judge is instructed to keep the Nazis clumped up into groups of five so that our heroes can take them out one five-person group at a time to keep this combat manageable. I do appreciate that. Quote, the heroes must also figure out some way of dealing with the undead barren blood. The easiest method of taking care of blood is to pull down the wooden flagpole. It was the first thing the heroes saw after they woke up, remember, and use it as a wooden stake. The flagpole has good material strength. Then the author says, with obvious reluctance, quote, if the players come up with some other method of defeating the vampire, it is up to you to gauge its success. He goes on to say parenthetically, quote, the only items present on this level of the castle are those that you would normally expect to find on a flight deck or in an aircraft hangar. Also, remember the barren blood is immune to the effects of sunlight, so solar blasts, such as those used by the Vision, have no additional effect on this vampire. The author goes on to say, quote, Blood will continue to press his attack, no matter how badly he's overmatched, until he realizes that the players have means at their disposal to end his existence, at which time he will attempt to flee out the hangar door and into the Romanian woods. This seems like pretty high morale for a vampire who has immortality stretching out ahead of him, is only, I think, a casual Nazi and is outnumbered by a force including unknown superhumans, I feel like if the fight were going completely against him, it would be in his best interest to just fly away. But no, he sticks it out until the bitter end, unless the heroes hit upon, you know, any old idea for acquiring a traditional vampire slaying weapon, such as that wooden flagpole that you saw first thing in the box text, then he runs away. The author's not going to make this cutscene happen, but you know, he went to the trouble of putting a flagpole here. Well, you know, Use it if you want, whatever. It'd be pretty cool. Pretty cool to use that uh, flagpole as a wooden stake. So we got all these Nazis. We got this Nazi vampire. We got Baron Zemo here. All of this matters only insofar as we have to deal with all this to get to the spaceship. The spaceship is dealt with in a section entitled Dealing with the Superweapon. Quote, if Blood has not yet managed to launch the superweapon before the fight with the heroes breaks out, the heroes can automatically attack the machine if they so choose. It has amazing protection only good quality on the blue-domed top, and excellent body. Now, this is nothing against the spaceship, but let me just point out that the author has the rules wrong here. Clearly, the intention here is that the protection score is high, like amazing, all over the vehicle, but only good at the top, so that if you want to hurt this saucer, you need to get above it and shoot down. But that's not what the protection attribute does. For vehicles, the protection attribute is how much the vehicle protects passengers and drivers, like anyone inside the vehicle. It's the vehicle's body that applies to attacks against the vehicle itself. So, like, rules as written, this whole, like, secret weak point of the saucer that the author is trying to set up doesn't actually work, but it's clear what he was trying to do. So, I think it's safe to say the intention is that there's amazing armor, like, amazing body on this saucer, and then good body on top. However, there may still also be amazing protection, which may become relevant. Quote, if the super weapon has been launched, the heroes can jump in Nazi fighter planes, if they can't fly fast enough, and attempt to shoot it down before it gets very far. Oh, now we can steal a plane. Now that it's a Nazi plane on a crowded flight deck on a short runway, we got to activate the slingshot device ourselves with one hand while we fly the fucking plane with the other. Now it's a good idea. Okay. Anyway, whether they fly up themselves or they go up in a Nazi plane, the heroes can attempt to shoot down the saucer. There are three fighters, but you can't launch the fighters until you clear out the flight deck. So once again, these mooks are in the way. We got to get rid of them. It goes on to say that if the heroes want to handle everything this way, like take down the saucer once it's already launched, then you run it as a normal aerial combat. Did I look up the aerial combat rules? For once, no. 
New listeners are referred to the aerial combat rules in Ninjas and Super Spies and Heroes Unlimited, which I covered in Seasons 1 and 2. Listening to those episodes will make clear to you why, when I start to think about aircraft combat, I lose my faculties of rational thought as my lizard brain tells my body through chemical signals that my podcast microphone is trying to kill me. So fuck that. No aerial combat. And anyway, why would I want to shoot down this perfectly good spaceship? It's a spaceship from the future, and not the bullshit future I'm from, not from 1989 or 2021 in the case of the Secret Zoomers. The actual future, 2146. I'm trying to get it back from the Nazis anyway. Where is it safer? Crashed in the mountains right outside this Nazi science base, where, by the way, they just reconstructed a crashed time machine. Or, back in my time period, on the roof of my team headquarters, and occasionally on joy rides out to the countryside to buzz people in pickups on lonely roads to make them think that they saw an alien, and they think they're going to get abducted, and I laugh and laugh. That seems safer to me, much more responsible. It's not 2146, but it's closer to 2146. Did I mention that the spaceship has weapons? Quote, The super vehicle is armed with two laser cannons that fire with excellent agility and strike for remarkable damage. The super vehicle's other armaments can only affect ground targets. There's no specificity about what the ship can do to ground targets, Presumably these must be bombs or something, because otherwise you would think there'd be details, because most of the team is probably going to be on the ground, and this thing is going to be aloft, so you'd think that its air-to-surface capabilities would be relevant. However, it's possible that it's not relevant because it's not part of the ship's programming. Quote, The alien craft has room for a pilot, but is currently computer-controlled. It will attack only those planes or flying characters who first fire upon it, and it will keep attacking one target until that target moves out of range. Fifteen areas. So great range on these weapons on the spaceship, excellent accuracy, remarkable damage, and there's an empty cockpit in there. In that spaceship, there's room for a spaceship captain, but there's no spaceship captain. I want to be the spaceship captain. Why would I shoot this thing down when I could jump on it, pry the top off it, and jump inside, and take control, and fly this thing around, and use its lasers, or whatever, to shoot down all the Nazis? I could use amazing protection, I could use these beams, and according to the book, It's pretty easy to figure out how to fly a Nazi fighter jet. I don't think a spaceship is going to be that much harder to figure out. Anyway, we then get rules about targeting the top of the spaceship because the author assumes that you're going to want to shoot it down. Uh, You get rules for the German fighters so that you know how effective they are at chasing down and firing on this spaceship. There is a clock on all of this. Quote, any aerial combat will last for a maximum of 10 rounds. At the end of that time, the super vehicle will accelerate to monstrous speed and pull away. It goes at monstrous speed. Do you fucking hear this? That's so fast. Much faster than its normal tactical speed. I think this thing just went to warp. I mean, not as fast as warp speed, but aesthetically the same thing. It flies around and kind of like floats and shoots lasers. Then when it wants to go somewhere, like off into the distance, like a warp effect from Star Trek. This is everything I've ever wanted from a spaceship, except for the retro statuary and shag carpeting from Barbarella. Also Barbarella from Barbarella. Quote, getting out of the castle. Once all of the Nazis have been cleared off the flight deck, the heroes can leave unopposed. If they wish to stick around and help the resistance fighters take the castle, Olaf will dissuade them. This is our country, he will say, and our people have been conquered. We cannot thank you enough for the inspiration and opportunity you've shown us, but please allow us this victory. Interesting that Olaf's national pride hinges on not taking one moment more of our help in clearing out this one building especially given that somewhere in it, undoubtedly, a Nazi scientist is turning a backhoe back into a Shift-X knockout laser. But whatever. You got it, Olaf. I will allow you this victory. You just allow me this spaceship, and we're good. 
That takes us to the aftermath. Quote, The heroes can return to the nearby airstrip held by resistance fighters and rendezvous with a plane that will have them back in Italy by 1 p.m., one hour before the German counterattack is scheduled to begin. Go to chapter 22. Then we get some karma awards. 10 karma for defeating the Nazi soldiers, 20 karma for defeating Baron Zemo, 50 karma for defeating Baron Blood, 40 karma for destroying the superweapon, and minus 20 karma for failing to destroy the weapon. What is this binary bullshit? Destroy the weapon or don't destroy the weapon. The assumption here, as we're going to see moving forward, is that either I shot down this perfectly good spaceship, flew up on top of it, aimed at the place where a spaceship captain would go, where I would go, either I shoot it down and it crashes and that's it, or it shows up again later in our final confrontation with the Nazis because the Nazis still have it. I failed to shoot it down. The dumbest thing on this page is that there is no mention, no mechanics, no karma reward, no path forward through the module, nothing. Not even a not even a hint, not even a whisper of the possibility of the player characters seizing this spaceship, which is by far the safest bet for a player character decision in this module. Like, I know that you can't cover everything, but for a book that gave me the rules for seizing fishing boats so I could attack a bunker from the other side, for a book that gave me a quintuple redundant system, at least for making sure that World War II inside and out, all the people, all the places and all the events by Hamilton Crane got into the hands of the player characters and stayed there. It is unacceptable that this book doesn't even momentarily entertain the possibility that the player characters faced with a super science spaceship with an empty cockpit running on autopilot programmed to fight the allies and win World War II for the Nazis even attempt to get in that cockpit and drive that spaceship. You're telling me there's a spaceship here and if I drive it, I save the world from Hitler? What's the fucking drawback? I'll steal a spaceship from Hitler. Honestly, I would steal this spaceship from FDR. I'm not too proud to say it. He's an elitist. Churchill, famously not a good guy. Stalin, Truman, the glaringly missing from this module, General Patton. I'm not saying I'd succeed. I'd probably die, but I'd try to steal a spaceship from Patton. There's just, there's every reason to steal the spaceship. What I would love is a section about the reason role that you need to make to steal the spaceship. You know, how do you gradually learn to pilot this thing over the course of the rest of the adventure? Which isn't long. But I would have settled even for just an excuse as to why you can't steal the spaceship. And you can tell me, oh, this is old school gaming, like the judge would figure all this out. It doesn't need to be explicit in the module. This module offered a karma reward for capturing Hitler, an event that is only remotely possible and would definitely derail the entire module. Not only is there no karma reward for capturing the superweapon, there is a karma penalty for not destroying the superweapon, heavily implying that the only two options are leaving it in Nazi hands or destroying it. Huge mistake. That is simply not how players behave. On that topic, actually, join me next time for chapter 22, when we get a big reveal that is going to reverberate all the way back through this adventure, and the author has the gall to give you a pop quiz on how closely you've followed the logic of this adventure on MDC, the Mega Dumbcast. This has been MDC. New episodes drop every day except for Sundays, when all the previous week's episodes drop in one big megasode on the top-secret patrons-only RSS feed. If you'd like to get access to that feed and support the show, go to patreon.com slash megadumbcast. Contact the show however you want. I am Megadumbcast on Twitter, Podbean, Gmail, Instagram, etc., etc. This episode's theme music is Robinson's Grand Entry March, performed by the United States Air Force Concert Band. Thanks for listening. 